Hello, and welcome to Occupied Thoughts, a podcast brought to you by the Foundation for Middle East Peace. I'm Lara Friedman. I'm the president of the Foundation for Middle East Peace. Today is March 29th, 2023, and it is my pleasure to have with me today Vito Todeschini. Did I say that right? Yep. Excellent. Vito is a legal expert in human rights law, international humanitarian law, and international accountability, focusing on Palestine, Israel, and the wider MENA region. Between 2018 and 2022, he worked as a legal advisor for the MENA program of the International Commission of Jurists based in Tunis, Tunisia. Um, and, And really, I asked him here today because I want to dig really into the basics of international jurisdiction and law and Israel-Palestine. I should add that you can follow Vito on Twitter. It's at, well, at sign, and then one name, Vito Todeschini, T-O-D-E-S-C-H-I-N-I. And we'll have that with the notes from the, uh, the, the notes online. So you don't have to remember that. Um, so welcome, Vito, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me here. It's really a pleasure. It's great. So I'm going to do just a quick introduction to tell people what's on my mind and why I invited you here. And then we're going to dig right into this. So I asked Vito to join me today. I mean, the the issue of of Palestinians and efforts to get access to justice for Palestinians and international fora is not new. I asked him to talk about it today for a couple of reasons. First of all, there are the ongoing efforts, right, to enforce some measure of accountability on Israel for its actions vis-a-vis Palestinians via these international legal bodies. Here, we're generally talking about the International Criminal Court, the ICC, and the International Court of Justice, the ICJ. Uh, So this discussion, to me, feels especially um, relevant today, given the recent decision of the ICC to take action against Vladimir Putin of Russia. Um, And that decision, when I saw it come down, I thought, hey, this is interesting. And I had three reasons why I thought this was interesting. Um, First, the speed with which it was taken, right? We have pending action for the Palestinians for a very long time, and they were able to move very quickly when it came to Russia. Second, I looked at some of the issues that were in play, particularly the question of transferring people out of Ukraine into Russia. And I thought, hey, this is one of the issues that's always raised by Palestinians, the transferring of population from occupied territory to the sovereign territory of the occupier. And third, I I noticed this little fact, which is that neither Russia nor Ukraine are parties to the ICC. And one of the arguments that's always used for why the ICC should not be looking at Palestine is because Israel is not a party to the ICC. And according to US, Palestine shouldn't be a party to the ICC. And I will put links uh, with the notes to this com- to this conversation um, to Secretary Blinken back in 21 saying, with respect to Israel and the ICC, the ICC has, this is a quote, the ICC has no jurisdiction over this matter. Israel is not a party to the ICC, has not consented to the court's jurisdiction. We have serious concerns about the ICC's attempts to exercise its jurisdiction over Israeli personnel. The Palestinians do not qualify as a sovereign state and therefore are not qualified to obtain membership as a state yada, yada, yada. And then fast forward to uh, just over a week ago when he was asked a question about the ICC warrant against Putin when he was speaking um, on Capitol Hill testifying. And when he was asked about states possibly arresting Putin under this arrest warrant, his answer was, quote, I think anyone who's a party to the court has and has obligations should fulfill their obligations, which seems to be recognizing that this is legitimate. So with that all as context, Vito, thanks for being here. And and I'd like to just dive right in if that's okay with you. Sure. So I wanna start with the very, very basics. Um, 
I am a smart person. I read the news. I watch the news. I read books. I listen to smart people. I could really use a primer on the ICC and ICJ. As in, what are their respective mandates? From where do they derive their respective authority? And in terms of functions and outputs, how are they different? Sure. So, yeah, I think that that's a very important point to, you know, like clarify things since the beginning. So the International Criminal Court, the ICC, is a court that prosecutes individuals for international crimes. Okay. Whereas the International Court of Justice, the ICJ, is a court that deals with disputes between states and, as we will be talking today, provide advisory opinions on legal matters. Now, the ICC was created back in 1998 through the Rome Statute, which is a multilateral treaty, and started functioning in 2002. So its jurisdiction started in July 2002, when the statute entered into force. Its mandate is basically to investigate and prosecute uh, those persons that are allegedly responsible for uh, and I quote the statute, the most serious crimes of international concern. Now, what are, which are these crimes? These are like listed in the Rome Statute and they are genocide, crimes against humanity, war crimes, and the crime of aggression. So this is like in a nutshell, the ICC. The uh, International Court of Justice instead, the ICJ, was created through the Charter of the United Nations in 1945. So we are in the post-World War II period and it started functioning in 1946. It is basically the successor of the Permanent Court of International Justice, which was in, instead established under the Legal, League of Nations following um, World War I. Uh, it is considered the principal judicial organ of the United Nations, and it is concerned with the Pacific settlement of disputes between states. Now, its mandate foresees basically two functions. One is, as I said, deciding on disputes between states and that are submitted only by states regarding, you know, for example, uh, a border dispute, uh, maritime borders or differences of interpretation of a treaty uh, of breach of a treaty when there is when there are like bilateral relations. The other function of the ICJ and it, it is what we will be talking more in detail today is providing advisory opinions on legal questions to UN organs and uh, most often this is like uh, these uh, opinions are given to the General Assembly, but it could be they could be requested also by the Security Council of the, UN, the United Nations, for example, or even by specialized agencies. But this is to say that the two courts are very different and the ICC deals with like individuals and international crimes and instead the ICJ deals with states and international disputes and uh, advisory opinions. Okay, so that, that's very clear. So I want to ask you maybe what is a question I hear the most often when, whenever this issue comes up, which is Palestine's not in the eyes of most of the world a state. How is it that the Palestine that the Palestinians or Palestine has access to the ICC? How did it how did it what the, the US says Palestine's not a state? They have no status to be a party to the ICC, but they are. 
how did that happen via the Rome Statute? And the ICJ, again, you said it deals with disputes between states or questions submitted by states. So explain how it is that the Palestine issue and the Palestinians themselves have access to these courts. Sure. So uh, the question of yeah, Palestinian statehood, as you said, is like very much debated at the political level, but also at the legal level. You can find like lots of literature on that. The fact is that we specifically, you know, if you want to uh, look at the ICC, uh, there was actually a first attempt in 2009 following Operation Gaslead, in which the uh, in which Palestine tried to not to accede to the Rome Statute, but to uh, lodge a specific declaration that accepts the jurisdiction of the court, even without being a party to the statute. And then the then uh, prosecutor, Luis Moreno Campos, said that the, the problem was that this can be done only by state, and the office of the prosecutor wasn't in a position to decide whether Palestine was a state, but it would follow recommendation from either the United Nations or the assembly of state parties to the Rome Statute on whether Palestine could uh, accept, accept the jurisdiction of the of the ICC. Now, what happened is that in 2012, the General Assembly voted to grant uh, Palestine the status of non-member observer state. That basically opened the door for Palestine to accede to a number of treaties. The Rome Statute, which happened later in 2015, but also other treaties like the Geneva Conventions or the UN Convention Against Torture. So basically, it was this status that uh, provided like the possibility for Palestine to accede in uh, to the to accede to the Rome Statute in 2015. And when it comes to the ICJ, in this case, uh, we're talking. We will be talking about an advisor opinion where you don't have. A dispute between states. So you do, in that case, you're not even on a formal level uh, necessarily uh, concerned with the statehood of Palestine. Excellent. I think it's also worth remembering back um, when when the UN General Assembly voted to admit the Palestinians as a non-member a non-member observer states. This issue of them acceding to treaties and and joining agencies was immediately sort of focused on as as this being a threat, which I've got to say as a as a as a political analyst is fascinating. I, I my understanding of the history of the UN and the non-member observer state status is that giving giving parties like the Palestinians a chance to join things like treaties protecting the rights of women and children and international law is actually seen as a way of protecting rights and world order, not as um, weaponizing not 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 as an offensive um, act, um, but obviously in this case it was it was viewed differently. Um, let's let's start to dig in more then into the cases. So I want to start at the ICC, which is obviously the has gotten more attention historically. So talk to us about the actions that are now pending vis-a-vis um, -vis Palestine and Israel at the ICC. Yes. Um, so. The Office of the Prosecutor of the ICC opened a formal investigation into the situation in Palestine, so into like the crimes committed in Palestine on 3 March uh, 2021. This followed, as I said, like the accession of Palestine in 2015 and basically almost five years of uh, a preliminary examination by the uh, Office of the Prosecutor, which is like a procedure through which 
the prosecutor basically assesses whether there are the requirements to open an investigation. So after five years, uh, they actually decided that there were like the, the, the reasonable basis to open an investigation. And uh, they also requested uh, the, the ICC to deliver a the decision on the territorial scope that uh, concerned the investigation. So in which is the territory that the investigation should consider uh, when it comes to crimes. And the ICC in uh, beginning of 2021 for the, the opening of the investigation confirmed that the territory is the whole of the Palestinian territory, which means the West Bank, including East Jerusalem, and the Gaza Strip. Uh, when it comes to, if you want, like the content of the investigation, the, the crimes that are being investigated, there are mainly three situations that, as, as far as we know, the prosecutor is looking at. First of all, is the war crimes committed in the context of the 2014 hostilities in Gaza. And this is possible because uh, although it precedes the accession of the to the Rome Statute by Palestine, at the moment of acceding, Palestine basically granted the ICC the jurisdiction starting in June 2014, exactly to cover, to give the, the, the prosecutor the possibility to investigate crimes committed during the 2014 hostilities in Gaza. The second set of crimes concerned the transfers of Israeli settlers into the West Bank uh, and East Jerusalem. So the, the infamous settlements, colonies that Israel has created on Palestinian territory. And the third set of crimes that the, the prosecutor is looking at is crimes committed through the use of lethal and non-lethal force against protesters during the Great March of Return in Gaza in 2018 and 19. Okay, so this is like an overview of the crimes. Now, the fact is that at the moment, can I can I intervene? I'm sorry, yes. I have a question. So that's so the, that's a list of the, what they're looking at. How did they come upon that list? Did, was that out of was that the list that they were of things they were asked by plaintiffs to look at, or is that the list that that they derive from their initial survey? I mean, how how does that work? So we. I would say it's a question of evidence, first of all, because of course, when you when you investigate the crime, you need to have you need to have enough evidence. Of course, you know, like over time, um, especially Palestinian organizations, but not only, have submitted really lot of information about many more crimes than the ones that are being investigated by the ICC. So I would say that probably that the choice of uh, of uh, crimes has to do with well the gravity of the crimes, the if you want the the scope how widespread they are, the also evidence that is in their possession, and of course this is like a first focus of the investigation. The investigation is not limited to this, and actually there are like many, uh, you know, like again organizations are supplanting the courts with information about other crimes and you know the, the the investigation could be expanded to include for example the, the hostilities in May 2021 in Gaza which is the last uh, the, the latest major round of hostilities that happened the forced displacement transfer deportation of palestinians for example from uh, Sheikh Jarrah from uh, Masafariata uh, 
I know that uh, I remember that that uh, Al Jazeera submitted also a case regarding the killing of Shirin Abu Akhle, uh, almost a year ago. And also there is the question of the crime of apartheid, you know, the crimes against humanity of apartheid, which is a crime under the Rome Statute. And as you know, like uh, it has been very much on the news lately because many organizations, Palestinian, Israeli, international have submitted report accusing Israel of, commi of committing the crime of apartheid. And this could, you know, come within the purview of the ICC investigation. So definitely, the, the list can can be expanded. I also just, just to throw in for people who are listening who may not be aware the when you talk about organizations submitting information, submitting evidence, you're talking largely about the NGO sector, the civil society sector in Palestine and also in Israel. Um, and it's worth noting that that the key the key actors in that civil society sector who documents um, and research and report on these abuses have actually been labeled by Israel as terrorist organizations. Um, some believe partly in response to submitting the documentation to the ICC. Um, it's whether or not there's a direct connection. I think that's the people are are inferring that from timing and from statements that they see denouncing their work. Um, but there's a, 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 a strong overlap between the 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 NGOs that are the most targeted by Israel and the ones that are presenting information that is used at the ICC. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely. Actually, it's very much on point your your comments. I would just add that you know, like two years on, uh, the fact is that we don't really have like publicly available information on the how the, the investigation is progressing. So we don't know, you know, where it is at, how long it will take, for example, to get to arrest to an arrest warrant, if if any. So for now, we we don't know um, what's happening. Uh, and of course, the Israel is not at all collaborating with the ICC. It has been defiant. Uh, let's say it has been outraged when the when the ICC opened the investigation. And uh, yeah, at the moment we are we are still waiting to understand where this is going. And and you know, like a hope is that it will not drag for years. Yeah, I know that one of the questions that's been raised in the context of the current um, upheaval domestically in Israel is what effects um, the planned uh, judicial, quote unquote, judicial reform would have on Israel's primary defense on why the ICC doesn't have jurisdiction. In addition to, the, to Israel arguing we're not party to this and you're anti-Semitic and anti-Israel and don't you dare come near us, they also argue we have domestic courts that mm -hmm. are, you know, clear, clearly, you know, first world fantastic courts, the best, and they can investigate this themselves. And and I know from reading the Israeli press, there has been some consternation on that side that if the if the judicial reform goes forward, it could undermine that specific argument, which I think is is fascinating and speaks to the degree to which the, the court system um, has been used to shield Israelis from scrutiny. Um, I wanna continue on the ICC for a minute and then we'll switch to the ICJ. So let's, I mean, I opened in my introduction with my, my amateur looking at law person observations about Russia, Ukraine. I want to ask you to actually take that on. Tell me, first of all, if I'm wrong, please tell me I'm wrong. If 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 there are interesting parallels or or um, conclusions or observations that can be made about the ICC's actions vis-a-vis -vis Russia, Ukraine, and Putin as compared to Palestine, um, let's hear them from you as an expert instead of me as a uh, 
a dilettante on this? No, I think that actually your initial observations are again uh, definitely on point. I would say that you know the, 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 this latest development of uh, such a quick arrest warrant, you know, like compared to when the the, the 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 investigation in Ukraine was open, is actually good news. I would say also the fact that someone at the level of you know Putin as like the head of the state is it's also very important. It's it's symbolically important to see that the international community is going after someone who has committed the crime. Uh, allegedly committed the crime of aggression and then you, you know you have a plethora of other crimes being committed in, in Ukraine and, and it, we will also see you know what the effects are on for example the ability of Putin to travel there is a lot of like talks about this whether he will be able to to make it to South Africa and and to to the the BRICS meeting because he he should in theory be arrested by South Africa. But at the same time, as you were saying, this also stands out in stark contrast with what's happening in many other situations uh, about issuing arrest warrant and about the how quick the, the response from the on the ICC side is. And, and especially when we look at Palestine and Israel. Unfortunately, I would say that these uh, shows how much geopolitics you have behind the support for accountability because you know like in uh, everybody supports accountability in in theory then when it comes in practice in practice right you 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 have lots of geopolitical considerations and you see the difference between so many states including the US but not only also european states like germany or the united kingdom supporting uh, efforts uh, for accountability in Ukraine, also through the ICC, and instead like having a, an opposite behavior when it comes to accountability for Israeli crimes in Palestine, right? Because they are trying to 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 some ways to shield Israeli officials to end up in the Hague, and and the the, the statements. By, by contradictory statements by Blinken that you have uh, quoted at the beginning are a, a stark evidence of that, right? Um, and and of course, I mean, I've also been reading, you know, commentary since the the the, 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 the arrest warrant, the, the the news about the arrest warrant against Putin uh, was was published about how this could, you know, like undermine the legitimacy of the ICC in the eyes, in this case of, you know, Palestinians of victims of organizations that, that work with the ICC, because you, you, you don't see uh, anything happening there. And, and I think it's totally understandable and it's important to, you know, like also put pressure on the ICC, like in terms of, of advocacy to, to, to also act uh, effectively in the, in the situation in Palestine. The only thing I would, you know, like maybe caution against is not to throw the baby with the bathwater in the sense that we don't want to, you know, like delegitimize the ICC to the point to, 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 to state that it is useless or that we, that's, I mean, we don't want the world without the ICC. I think that it has to be improved, you know, like through 
support resources and you know you have to engage with the prosecutor understand better what's what's the prosecutorial strategy behind and definitely uh, make sure that there are no double standards on the side of the icc or states when it comes to accountability so uh, i think it's important to uh, you know like make all this criticism be having a critical attitude but at the same time i i, I would be cautious about the possible delegitimization of the ICC as an institution because it's already under attack, attack on many fronts. I think that's a fair point. I find myself as I'm listening to you remembering back to 2020, I think it was when the Trump administration put um, incredibly um, arduous sanctions against the mm -hmm. prosecutor and her staff at the time. And ostensibly that was about the ICC um, looking at US activities in Afghanistan. But I remember the Secretary of State at the time made very clear that it was also about the ICC considering looking at Israel. Um, and I think this is one of those things where you see Congress basically laying, uh, putting putting a line down in the sand that the ICC targeting Israel is, is exactly the same as the ICC targeting the US and it is beyond the pale and, and will not be permitted. So. Um, I, I mean, it, it's the ICC is obviously in a very difficult position there. I think it needs to be recognized. Um, I, moving from the ICC, the other um, the other center of activity now is the ICJ, the International Court of Justice. And you laid out the differences between the ICC and the ICC, ICJ. I want you to talk about what's going on in the ICJ vis-a-vis -vis the Palestinians, what you think it might produce, what would be the time frame potentially impact. And I mean, if it makes sense, what I, I'd be really interested if you can connect it to the UN Commission of Inquiry, um, which is a hot topic in Congress. They really hate it. And also to the work of the Special Rapporteur on the Situation of Human Rights in the Palestinian Territory, occupied since 1967, Francesca Albanese, whose work also inspires a great deal of um, consternation, shall we say, in Washington and in Israel. Yes. Um, so, well, the, the two other mechanisms that you mentioned, the Commission of Inquiry and the Special Rapporteur, are two mechanisms that have been created by the Human Rights Council. Uh, the Special Rapporteur has existed, existed as a mandate for a number of years now. Now it's Francesca Albanese, and beforehand we have like a very like eminent jurist like uh, Michael Link, John Dugard, Richard Falk, and, and, uh, and others. Uh, uh, and uh, the mandate is renewed every three years, and it looked into like the occupied Palestinian territory, the human rights situation. And it's, it's a mandate that has been uh, very important also to develop certain legal positions and, uh, and, and also advocate for, for the rights of Palestinians. The Commission of Inquiry instead was created in uh, May 2021, actually following this latest round of major hostilities in Gaza. And for the first time, it has like an open-ended mandate. So that's a great advantage uh, because it doesn't have to renew, the mandate doesn't need to be renewed, you know, every year or every two years. And also an important feature of it is that it looks not only at the occupied Palestinian territory, as for example, the special rapporteur does, but also at Israel. And it has the mandate to look beside, you know, international law violations, also at the root causes of these violations. So, you know, when it comes to features like, for example, apartheid, uh, that's something that the, the commission hasn't looked yet, but they could, and I guess they will at one point. So uh, these are all, you know, like different mechanisms. 
but the important thing is that of course the icj unit will you know like uh, consider the various legal argument and uh, the will deliver the, the the advisory opinion it will be able also to rely on the findings of these other two bodies uh what's important to mention here is that now we have like the general assembly that on the 31st of december 2022 adopted the resolution in which it basically submitted uh re requested the uh icj to deliver an advisory opinion on a set of legal questions that we will talk about later and this uh if you want this achievement is part of a longer process is connected to the commission of inquiry but it uh, has like also um, uh, it's be it's be it's part of a longer process because the idea of having an, an advisory opinion on the occupation on the legality of the occupation is something that you know ngos experts academics have been long advocating for and also former special reporters, the mandate we were talking about, have recommended it. For example, John Dugard already in uh, 2007 recommended that the General Assembly submits, uh, request the, the, the ICJ to deliver a, a, an opinion uh, on, uh, on the legality of the occupation. But then what happened is that the Commission of Inquiry in its report that was published in September 2022, a, a report in which it looked exactly at the legality of the occupation okay it didn't look just at the single violations that are committed on palestinian territory but at the occupation as a system that generates violations uh it determined that the occupation is illegal because of its permanent and annexationist character and as one of the recommendations it recommended the general assembly to refer the question to the icj for an advisory opinion so Basically, this time the recommendation was picked up and the General Assembly voted for this advisory opinion to, uh, you know, to be delivered. And now, uh, yeah, the, the whole proceedings are in the hands of the ICJ. It could take up to a year or two years overall because they, they can hold hearings. Uh, many states will, uh, will intervene and it, and it has, it will have to deal with lots of like, legal complex legal issues and questions so it will take time uh if you want like having an advisory opinion it's important and why is that so although it's like not a binding legal opinion it's advisory as the, the name says uh, it offers you know an, author an authoritative interpretation and clarification of international law and this will regard like the specific question of the legality of the occupation but it's also useful actually for like broader uh, interpretations of international rules of international law and it is important because you know it's exactly a thought to provide guidance to un organs so when we talk about you know like uh, self-determination of the palestinian people and occupation and all that the general assembly the security council other un bodies are concerned with it and having like guidance on these issues by the uh, icj is very important it can be important also for icc proceedings because the icc can also uh, rely on uh, on a pronouncement by the icj you know 
take in uh, some of the legal points that are made. It can help influence, you know, the, the behavior of states or, for example, international organizations like the European Union, uh, which is the, the, the first, like the primary trade partner with Israel. And it's also very helpful to civil society and NGOs when they do their, you know, when they conduct advocacy. So like having an opinion again, but the principal organs of the United Nations on this matter and the matter of the legality of the occupation is uh, absolutely crucial, I would say. So yeah, so that was one of my next questions. If this is a non-binding legal opinion, what's the difference? And you're saying it actually does have real consequences. First, third, first, second, third order real consequences potentially um, for Israel. Listening to you lay out those consequences, I am struck by the thought that it it, it it makes sense in this context that that Israel and supporters, some some of Israel's supporters or supporters of Israeli impunity, I should say, are pushing very hard to get the UN to adopt uh, the definition of anti-Semitism that is being promoted by the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, the IRA definition, which is has been used um, certainly in the U.S. and around the world to basically declare that most real, most meaningful criticism of Israel or reports that focus on Israel are ipso facto anti-Semitic. The fact that you are focused on Israel, they argue, makes it anti-Semitic. The fact that you, you, you would use the word apartheid, irrespective of whether Israel's actions qualify as apartheid under the legal definition of apartheid, the answer is that's anti-Semitic. Um, it almost, almost feels like we're in a race to see who gets, who gets to the finish mm -hmm. line first here. Um, all right, as a last question, um, I do want you to dig into a little bit more the, you've, you've referenced them in passing, the legal questions that are before the ICJ and, and whether they're the same or how they're different from what, what the ICC is looking at. And then we'll end here. Yeah, uh, well, the, you know, as they are formulated, the questions are a bit convoluted, but I would like to try, you know, to untangle a bit them. But basically the, the General Assembly asked two questions to the ICJ. So the first question centers on the violation of the right to self-determination of the Palestinian people, and particularly uh, the violation as it arises from a number of like uh, measures and, and practices and policies, which is, first of all, the prolonged occupation, uh, which, as we know, it enters this year, the 56th year. The settlement enterprise, so the transfer of civilians, which we saw it's also like part of the investigation of the ICC. So how the settlement enterprise impacts the right to self-determination. The question of annexation, you know, all measures that Israel has taken to annex either formally, like parts of the, of the West Bank, or for example, is Jerusalem or also de facto, you know, uh, like through, for example, the settlements. And also how like discriminatory legislation and measures um, impact the right to self-determination. So this is the, the first question, the self how the self-determination, the right to self-determination is violated through these measures. And the second question concerns exactly what we were talking about, the legality of the, the occupation and especially how such unlawful policies and practices affect the legal status of the occupation. So basically, do all these measures like the settlements, annexation, uh, make the occupation as such unlawful? And in case 
that there is a determination that the occupation is unlawful, what are the legal consequences for all states and the UN? So here, basically, the ICJ will have, as I mentioned, to deal with lots of like complex legal issues that concern the law of occupation, international human rights law, uh, violations of the law on the use of force or violations of the UN Charter, the, the, the right to self-determination. But also, I would say, and, and as many legal experts have already commented on, there is also an entry point, if the ICJ will want, we don't know, to talk about, again, apartheid, in the sense that when you have, you know, like part of the question to look at discriminatory legislation and measures, that's a possible entry point also for that. Now, I don't know if the ICJ will want to venture into that, uh, but but there is the possibility to do that. So basically, this, this is like the, the, the legal question that, that the ICJ will have to deliver its opinion on the right to self-determination, all these, the, these measures that violate the self-determination and how that affects the legality of the occupation. Thanks. I, it, it's sometimes funny when I when I talk to to people about this and I look at the the list of things that are being investigated. It almost feels like there's a, a there's very maybe I don't know if it's unique or not, but with Israel there is the odd situation that there's no denying that Israel is doing all of these things and there are there's a large part of the Israeli political body political leadership which is like hell yeah of course that's what we're doing. And we have a right to do it and we're going to do it whether you like it or not and if your laws say it's illegal the problem is your laws it's not that we're doing it there's no denying it and and to the extent that apologists for these policies for years have taken refuge in arguments like it's only temporary we just want peace and we know what we're waiting for an agreement for which those arguments sort of don't those arguments aren't about the technical part of what israel is actually doing um, again, which they're doing loud and proud. I'm thinking about the, the the political statements by some senior people after the pogrom in in the West Bank town of Hawara not long ago. I mean, it, it 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 is what it is that we really are in a situation here where the, the the courts are being asked to basically look at and recognize reality, and then make a decision about how how much they're willing to to say about that reality, not whether the reality is real. Um, anyway, that's just my musings. Um, I, I have uh, wrestled for some time with the idea that fundamentally in the question of Israel's relationship to Palestinians and the occupied territories, um, it's either this is going to break Israel or Israel is going to break the international legal system because um, there, there, there's no way that I can see as a non-lawyer that the international legal system, the post-World War II liberal world order can be um, made to can be made to coexist comfortably um, with Israel's actions vis-a-vis -vis Palestinians in the West Bank, but also inside the Green Line. Um, but that's a topic for another another podcast <laughs> another time. Um, I want to thank you so much, Vito. Thank you for listening to my musings on this as well. Uh, thank you for coming here today. Thanks for sharing your expertise with our audience. Um, and to our audience, thank you for listening and watching. Don't forget to follow Vito on Twitter at, at Vito Todeschini, T-O-D-E-S-C-H-I-N-I. -I. Um, I have a bunch of resources that I'm going to post along with this podcast, including several recommended by Vito that are terrific. I'll also put up links to the Commission of Inquiry report that Vito referenced and some other documents that were referenced in the conversation. 
And finally, as always, I want to remind you, subscribe to the Occupied Thoughts podcast. You can do so on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Spotify. That way you don't miss any of the great content that we post almost every week, thanks to experts like Vito. And you can also find um, the podcast, this podcast, and the video that goes with it at our website at www.fmep.org. So once again, Vito, thank you. Um, thanks a lot. And I, I will probably, I'm, your, I'm putting you on, on notice that I'll probably invite you back for a webinar or podcast on this or related issues soon. Um, I don't think this issue is going away. Uh, and, uh, and with that, I'm Laura Friedman. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. And we'll see you again on the next episode of Occupied Thoughts.